0: Connor, who were able to preach the last couple weeks, and John always does such a good job leading the worship, so thank you so much. Very thankful for them and for their help. Today, we're focusing on 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16. Of course, as we know, Paul wrote this letter to give Timothy guidance and encouragement as he served in the pastoral role at the church in Ephesus. There were a number of concerning issues that calls Paul to send Timothy to Ephesus. The biggest issue was the problem with strange doctrines that needed to be addressed, and that's why we regularly see Paul talking about the need for sound doctrine. There were other more practical issues as well in which Paul gives Timothy guidance, and the verses we're looking at today fit in that category, more practical issues. I want to remind us also of what Paul said in 1 Timothy three fifteen, he gives three very helpful descriptions of the church, and each of them really uh, help us see the importance, uh, the central importance of the local church, and I believe each of them also apply to how the uh, the things that we'll be looking at this morning in these verses. First, Paul said the church is the household of God; it's God's sanctuary; it's His special dwelling place, and the fact that the church is God's household. Uh, reminds us that we are literally God's family. Secondly, believers are the church of the living God. We belong to God. He's the one who brought us into into his family. And as his church, we, uh, we actually serve then the living God. We don't serve the dead gods of false religion or philosophies of men. We belong and serve the living God. And then thirdly, Paul wrote that the church is the pillar and the support of truth. So God has graciously revealed his word, and as his church, we are called to believe his word. We are called to uphold his word. We are called to put it into practice in our lives. Like I said, I believe each of these descriptions are helpful in understanding what Paul has to say in these 16 verses uh, of 1 Timothy 5. So let me read these verses for you. He says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather... Appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, (coughs) they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed... And who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be a reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and, she, and, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married thus incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, as they go round from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, to keep house, give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan, If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Okay, there's two main things that are going on in these verses. In verses 1 and 2, Paul gives some general instructions, general guidelines on how to relate to various men and women in the congregation and then most of his time is given to verses 3 through 16 which he gives guidance from several different angles <coughs> excuse me on helping widows in the congregation one of the things that i said as i mentioned before that as i was studying these verses and reading them over and thinking through them and what paul seems to be saying is that I see those three descriptions of the church just kind of weaving themselves all through the advice and the counsel that he gives to Timothy here. And, uh, well, for example, our first point is this, and you can see what I mean. As the household of God, relationships in the church should take on a family flavor. Should take on a family flavor. Now, I just remind you a couple of things to help us with the context here. In the previous verses in chapter 4... Leading up to these verses in chapter 5, Paul then exhorted Timothy to be an example in his speech, his conduct, his love, his faith, and his purity. He was probably in his mid, maybe late 30s, and that might cause him to feel inadequate as he interacted with men and women who were uh, older than him. So Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy's focus was on his character and not feeling overwhelmed because of his, of his age. Paul also stressed the need for Timothy to be sure that, that what, the way he lived was consistent with what he believed, with what he taught, and then reminded him in that light to make sure you're publicly reading the scripture, make sure you're continuing to expound the scripture to the congregation. And of course, Paul also reminded him of the spiritual gift that he had been given to encourage him to realize God has given you what you need and you have an obligation then to walk that out. But there was no doubt that Timothy's interaction with the people of this congregation was going to be difficult. He was going to have to deal with some difficult, hard issues with individuals. It was hard, but it had to be done. So in verses 1 and 2, Paul gives Timothy some helpful guidance on how to relate to people in the church. And it's clear, at least to me, that Paul is basing this guidance at least in part, on one of those key descriptions of the church that he gave earlier. Paul is saying that, I think, since the church is the household of God, then our relationships should reflect that, should have, the, like I said, a family flavor to them. So here's what he tells them. First, Paul gives some advice on how to appeal to a man who was older than him. He says, don't sharply rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as a father. The word rebuke here that he used means to chide sharply, to strike at, to pound with words. So the word Paul uses here is, contains an element of harshness. Now the problem here with these various teachers, even leaders in the church who were teaching strange doctrines, it was a big problem, and Paul was obviously very concerned about it. Well, when you hear when you would if, when you would hear someone teaching, especially if they were a leader. And teaching things that were clearly not biblical and even heretical, if I'm sitting there hearing that, it's going to make me mad. It's going to make me really mad. And it's going to be hard to kind of maintain your composure when you're talking to the person about the problem. But Paul doesn't want Timothy to be harsh in the way he addresses these issues. There may come a time for that. If they persist in the false doctrines, and won't change. But initially, he wants him, he, he, wants him to, he says, to, to address him like you would a father, like you would your father. Address him in that way. Show respect in your interactions. Um, and that makes sense when you're in the household of God, that you would sh- show respect to those older than you, in the sense that you would show respect to your father. And it makes it more likely to have a conversation also if the person Timothy is speaking to is his age or younger, then he says, appeal to him like you would a brother. Once again, the fact that Christ's church is his family means that there should be something of a brotherliness uh, among the men who are members there. And then Paul exhorts Timothy to relate to women who were older than him as mothers. And with Paul's words to... uh, focused to women in chapter 2, but also focused to widows here in chapter 5, there were apparently some issues with some women in the church as well that were going to have to be addressed. Once again, he must not be harsh. But instead, he should be respectful that way. uh, If he's talking about a hard subject, he has in mind, how would I talk about this if this was my mother? How would I bring this up in that way? It's going to be hard any way you deal with it, but if you could do it that way, that would soften it and make it easier. And again, hopefully there would be some possibility for conversation. As I was thinking about this, there was a couple instances in my own life that came to mind. I can only remember twice in my life that I actually spoke to my mom and my dad about something that was a hard issue. Um... In both situations, I was an adult, had my own family, and I was appealing to them to change their mind about a decision that they had made or were making. I prayed a lot before I said anything. I thought in great detail on how I was going to word what I, w- what I said. And both those situations were really hard, and I really felt like, though, that I honestly do feel like I approached them in a respectful way. That's what we're supposed to do within the church as well. Same kind of thing. We're to approach older men as we would a father, older woman as we would a mother. Then Paul gives a little bit different advice when it comes to younger women. He says, approach them as sisters in all purity. Timothy was a single man. And Paul said he should interact with younger women as sisters in Christ. Every aspect of his of his interaction with young ladies should show high moral standards. Well then I started thinking, what if he were to start dating one of those younger widows that's spoken of later in the chapter? It's not that impossible at all. As a matter of fact, it could very well have happened. Now, I put dating in quotes because there was really no such thing as dating at this time. It's pretty much an American invention. But I believe there's an application here for the relationships of young men and young women in our day. We have a tendency, and I believe we get this from the culture more than anything else, we have a tendency to see those relationships in the context of romantic lovers, like I said, that's a cultural thing. It's how you see it on TV. It's how you see it portrayed in songs, all kinds of things. So it fits the culture, but I don't think you can justify it from Scripture. And so I would encourage young people on, in those kind of relationships to especially focus on building the friendship, Christian friendship, and trust God that and he will do it. Trust God to take it beyond that when it's time we I mean, know wonder when there's going to be a, a possibility of, of marriage in the picture, but just some counsel there that I would share related to this verse. So relationships in the church and the household of God should take on something of a family flavor. Now, from verse 3 through 16, like we said, Paul focuses on widows. It's really interesting that he gives so much attention to this one group in the church. It seems that there must have been quite a few widows in the church in Ephesus. The church was seeking to care for them, uh, but there were some problems that needed to be addressed, and it's it's those problems that seem to to, to cause Paul to give some extra attention here to make sure Timothy looks at it from several different angles. So, here's how I would characterize what Paul does in these next verses. As the pillar and support of the truth, so again, I'm pulling from what Paul's description of the church, as the pillar and support of the truth, the church should apply biblical principles as they minister to widows and others in the congregation to the glory of Christ. I believe that's exactly what Paul is doing here. Yes, he's trying to help Timothy to organize the church's ministry in a more efficient way but he's doing a lot more than just giving him good administrative principles. He's consciously applying biblical principles in the things that he says here. And that's exactly what we should do in our lives, in our families, in our churches. The same kind of thing. When a situation comes to our attention or we're confronted with certain thing that we have to make a difficult decision about or just any kind of decision about, we need to to continue to train ourselves to try to think biblically about what's going on and what are the principles that come into play to help us think through and to, and to interact rightly with this circumstance, whatever it might be. And I believe Paul's giving us an example of this as he gives Timothy counsel. And why is he doing it that way? Because the church is the pillar and support of the truth, it's the Word of God that is the source for reliable truth. So we have to continue to learn to grow and how to understand that truth, how to apply it as best we know how. Well, we see Paul doing that in multiple ways. First one is this God has made it clear that widows and those in similar situations are to be helped, are to be helped as needed. Where does he get that from? Well, in the Old Testament, we see that widows were to be cared for. I mean, fundamentally, it's an application of the fifth commandment on your father and mother. It fits in that category. But then you read places like Exodus, in Exodus 22, God says this of widows. He says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And there are multiple scriptures that are similar to that in the Old Testament. Jesus had a heart for widows. In Luke 7, we see how he raised the son of the widow of Nain from the dead. Then in Luke 21, he spoke highly of the widow who gave her last two mites when, uh, there in the offering there at the temple. And then in James chapter 1, verse 27, we read this. It says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So caring for widows is described here as undefiled, pure religion in the sight of God. So with these biblical principles in mind, of course Paul is going to start off saying, honor widows who are widows indeed. Of course he's going to say that. It's a logical application. That word for honor includes the idea of not just of care, but also includes financial support. That's what he has in mind here as well. We see later in verse 5 that a true widow, which Paul calls a widow indeed, is one who has been left alone. In other words, she has no family who can help her. In that case, the church should see to it that she has the resources that she needs for her life. In addition, Paul says that a widow indeed is not only one who has financial need, but has also shown herself to be spiritually qualified to receive that help from the church. Verse 5, he says, She who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. So Paul's trying to make sure that the church gives priority to those who have walked with the Lord in their life. The church needs to see to it that these ladies have their needs taken care of. And even though the focus here is on widows, I think we can expand that to others as well. I mean, in those days, especially, uh, even more than our time, widows would find themselves in hard situations when their husband died. They were generally not able to provide for themselves with work. There just weren't as many opportunities to do that. They could be easily taken advantage of by unscrupulous men, which happened. But people other than widows can find themselves in those kind of situations. Uh, For example, the Bible talks about the need to take care of orphans. And I think it's so encouraging. We see Christians who focus on helping in foster care or adopting children in need. Sometimes single moms. Can find themselves in these kind of hard situations. So the church needs to be aware of how we can help people, you know, who just need that kind of help. And so I think there's a broader principle here than just the widows. It just happened that the widows were a particular concern uh, for Timothy at the church in Ephesus. Now from there, Paul points out another important biblical principle. Next, we see this. It is pleasing to God when family members, when family members care for one another in time of need. So it seems that the church was taking responsibility for, for financially supporting widows when there were family members who should have been doing that. So Paul's giving a correction here. Look at verse 3 and 4. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first hurt. Uh, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents for this is acceptable in the sight of God. I think he has more to say that on verse eight. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. These are really pretty strong words, very strong words. Paul wants the church, to care for widows who truly have needs. But he does not want the church to get in the way of things that her family should be doing. Does she have any children? What about grandchildren? They have an obligation here. And notice, it is not a civic obligation. It's not something the government requires. The issue is not whether it's an expectation of the culture. The issue is that this is pleasing to God. That's what the issue is. It is way more important what God thinks than what our neighbors think. And this is something that is pleasing to God. The phrase there, to practice piety, speaks of the need to put your beliefs into action. This is a very practical reminder that our Christian faith must determine how we act everywhere, but also especially at home. Paul also points out that this is a way to thank parents for all that they have done for you. It's easy for us to take that for granted, but Paul says, no, we shouldn't do that. And then in verse 8, Paul gets even more direct. Because of the priority God gives to parents and families, if we fail to provide for one who is part of our family, and is in great need in some way, he says that we're worse than an unbeliever. In other words, even those who reject the Christian faith feel an obligation to help their family if they can. But as Christians, our whole point in life is to love God and to love people, as we love ourselves. That's fundamental to who we are as Christians. To fail to come to the aid of one of our own family members is the opposite of love. It just doesn't fit. Now, Jesus spoke about this when he rebuked the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because they were shirking their responsibility toward their own parents. What they were doing, they actually designated their material assets as Corbin, which meant that they were all dedicated to God. And because they believed that their material assets were all dedicated to God, they felt they had no obligation to materially help their parents. Jesus called them hypocrites. That's not, that was not right. The principle here is that it is pleasing to God when family members care for one another in time of need. Paul is applying that help specifically here to widows, but the principle has application far beyond that. Parents with special needs children, brothers and sisters helping each other when, that's, when, when there's a need there, sons and daughters doing what they can even to help aging parents who need help, and there's multiple scenarios that could fit there. Some of those needs can be costly. Some of those needs can be time-consuming and even mentally exhausting, but what Paul says here, I think, can be a help. He says this kind of help is acceptable in the sight of God. Acceptable in the sense that it's pleasing to him. This reminds me of something from Eric Little's life. Uh, Little was Scottish and was known as a track star. Um, I've got a biography downstairs if you'd like to read it. It's excellent. And there's also a movie you may have heard of. In the past, I think it was in the 80s, Chariots of Fire. Well, he was known as the Flying Scotsman. In 1924, 100 years ago, 1924, he won a gold medal in the Olympics in the 400 meter race. That in itself is an amazing story that you need to look up if you don't know about it. But more than anything else, Eric Little was a committed Christian. After his races, people would gather around him to hear him proclaim the gospel, to hear him talk about the scriptures. He ended up going to China as a missionary. He actually ended up dying in China. Uh, there serving as a missionary. At one point, his sister expressed concern that Eric was spending so much time running track. To her, it just seemed like it was just kind of a waste of time. Eric's response always has impressed me. He said, when God made me, he made me fast and when I run I feel his pleasure when you're serving members of your family in ways that are costly time consuming mentally exhausting remember this truth as you serve feel acknowledge the pleasure of God in what you are doing as hard as it may be, it pleases God. Next, we see Paul taking about talking about the importance of godliness in the life of the Christian widows. In verse five, we've read this before, but I want to talk about it a little bit more here. "She, who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, continues in entreaties, prayers and night and day. So we can see from this verse that godly widows honor the Lord in their personal. Walk with the Lord in their personal walk with the Lord. As we point out multiple times, one of Paul's main emphases in 1 Timothy is the need for Christians to pursue godliness in their lives. When Paul speaks of a widow, indeed, he's speaking not only of her physical need, but of her spiritual life as well. Paul says, This is a woman who was alone in life. Not only does she not have a husband, but she has no children, no grandchildren who can help her. But even though she is alone in that sense, she's not alone as far as God is concerned. She has fixed her hope on God, it says. She is confident in her salvation. Jesus Christ is her Lord and Savior. And she is certain that he will never leave her. He will never forsake her. She knows that as long as she lives on this earth, that he will continue to be her shepherd. She is confident that his mercy, that his loving kindness continues to follow him, follow her every day of her life. This is a woman of faith. She's an example that others can learn from. She's also a woman of prayer. Paul says she continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Now, that does not mean she prayed 24 hours a day. That's not what that means. It just means that she was a woman of prayer. In fact, that she would pray during the day. She would, even, she would pray at times at night as well. So she had a regular habit of prayer, uh, of a devotion to God. She may not be able to do some of the same things that she did earlier in life in her younger days, but she can still pray. And she knows that that in itself is a powerful ministry. And if you have a woman like that praying for you, you are blessed. You really are. Then Paul points out that she not only honors the Lord in her personal walk, but also, this next point, godly widows are examples of godliness in the way they minister to others, the way they minister to others. Verse 9 and 10, a widow is to be put on the list, only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. So, Paul begins first this verse with a practical instruction. He says, in order for the church to support a widow, he says she needs to be at least 60 years old. (laughs) Now, culturally speaking, at that time, that seemed to be what we might loosely consider an age of retirement. Um, it was also the age where remarriage was not likely in the culture. And so this is not a hard, fast rule for us. I mean, this is what fit, especially in the, where, what, in, uh, the culture that Timothy was in. And that's the context that Paul is giving that particular age. But he's, and he's also encouraging the widows to use this season of their life for ministry. He describes her first as the wife of one man. Literally, that's a one-man woman. This does not mean that she, can't remi- that she can't remarry when her husband dies. In fact, that's encouraged later in this chapter. And Paul also encouraged it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Instead, what Paul is saying is that she had been an example of what it was to be faithful to her husband. That's what he's saying there. She also is said to have a reputation for good works. So as a Christian, there was good fruit in her life that was pleasing to God, that was an example and a service to others. And then Paul lists several examples of, that, of those good works. First, he says she may have had the opportunity to raise children, either her own or, or, or orphans, raising children it's a good work. It's a hard work, but it's also a work that brings God pleasure. It's a good work. Second, Paul mentions showing hospitality to strangers. There was quite a bit of travel in the Roman Empire. There were not a whole lot of good places to stay overnight in the Roman Empire, especially if you were a Christian. The majority of places where you would stay overnight were places that were where not good things happened. And so if you're a Christian who is traveling, that's not a place you want to stay. So what you would end up having to do is depend on Christians, most of whom you did not know, to give you a place to stay for the night. That's especially, I think, the context of what he's saying here for these ladies. There is that, that is one way to show hospitality. There are lots of ways for Christians to be hospitable to one another. And Paul makes it clear hospitality is a good work that brings God pleasure. Another work here, Paul says that he speaks of washing the saints' feet. So the, the idea of image of washing feet has to do with an image of humble service to other people, and it's also being willing to do things. That are humbling in themselves, not the kind of thing that other people would kind of gravitate to and say, oh, sure, I'll help with that. It's the kind of stuff that people would kind of think, oh, I'm not sure if I want to do that or not. So it's it, it, being willing to serve people in, in lowly ways might be another way to say that. Fourth, she, was, she, she has assisted those in distress People in distress are those who are having a great deal of trouble in their life in some particular way, and she is one who was known to come alongside people in their time of need if she could. And then finally, Paul summarizes her godliness by saying she has devoted herself to every good work. So in other words, she's the kind of person who serves people and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and things like this. So as Paul has told us already, godliness is something that characterized Christians, regardless of what season of life they are in. And so after extolling these godly older widows, Paul then gives a warning to the younger widows about some of the things that they may be struggling with. Look first in verse 6. She who gives herself, and here's talking about a widow, uh, especially a younger widow, we'll see, she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. And then Paul elaborates on more what he means on that from verses 11 to 15. He gives quite a bit of attention to this. He says refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ they want to get married thus incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, to keep house, to give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. So, Our next point, what we see from these verses is this. Younger widows need to heed the warning, heed the warning that strong temptations will be a serious challenge to their faith in Christ and can damage their testimony. When Paul speaks of younger widows here, he's not saying they should not be helped at all. He's just saying they should not be put on the list of those that the church regularly contributed to financially To support them on a a regular basis. Doesn't mean they can't be supported, but not in the same way as the older widows that he's been talking about. Even though both are widows, both the older and the younger, they are in different seasons of life. It's just their, their circumstances are not the same. Those who are the younger widows could still have strong sexual desires. Very likely they would maybe like to get married again. That's not a bad thing. But it's not wise, he says, to put the younger widow in the same category with the older widow. And it seemed like that was a problem in the Ephesian church. That's apparently what they were doing. They were putting them all together in that sense. And so the idea of of fully supporting someone who was a younger widow would end up putting them in a difficult situation. The church in a difficult situation financially but the widow herself is then is going to be exposed to more temptation because she's, not, she's going to have a lot more time on her hands. Verses 11 and 12, Paul warns of a couple of things, several things. He warns of a disregard of Christ. He warns of condemnation. He warns of setting aside a previous pledge. So what, do you mean, what does it mean by pledge? The pledge here could be a commitment to live out her life in widowhood without being married. That's possible. But the word for pledge here is literally translated faith. So I think Paul is speaking of the temptation to set aside their first faith, so to speak, in Christ, which is their primary commitment in life. How could that happen? Well, as a single woman in an overwhelmingly pagan world, She would have one having a strong desire for marriage. If one of these guys begins to show interest, then she might be willing to marry a pagan man, which would end up being something of a denial of her faith. And he's trying to say, don't put her in that situation. It's a very real temptation. And unfortunately, it's quite common for a young person who is very desirous of marriage, to set aside sometimes Christian standards to marry a person who has really shown interest in them. And it's amazing how often people will put things aside so they can go ahead and marry this person because they like me and I like them. So this is not only a warning for younger widows. Now, the word for condemnation, when, he's, when he talks about incurring condemnation in verse 12, that word can also be translated as judgment. So I think what he's talking about there are ramifications from the Lord, judgments from the Lord from making a sinful decision, as well as judgments that fellow believers, and I'm thinking about righteous judgment, proper judgments here, that Christians might might make to appeal to her, to confront her about this decision that's being made. Now, furthermore, we see if the church is taking care of all their financial needs, he says the younger widow may learn to be idle, having too much time on her hands. He talks of going house to house, being a gossip, being a busybody, talking about improper things. The improper things here, again, when you think of the context of the letter, is probably referring to the strange doctrines that were making their way through the church that Paul was very concerned about. Paul doesn't want them to fall into these deceptive teachings, and he has a real concern for them in that regard. So these are serious warnings, serious warnings that Paul is giving. And so there's an application we can make here. When people in our own life, especially believers, who have a significant place, significant position as far as their connection with us, when they feel compelled to give us a warning about something, We should listen. We need to listen. It's likely they have some insight that we probably should consider. That's what Paul is doing for these younger ladies. He sees problems, and so he's giving a serious warning, and he's really pleading with them to listen, to take heed of these things. In addition to the warnings to avoid, Paul gives positive counsel. He has a strong desire, if at all possible, that the younger widows would get married, that they would have kids, that they would keep house. Interesting, by the way, to note that the word he uses there for keep house is the word for despot or sovereign Lord. (laughs) That's the word he uses. So the implication here is that the role of the wife in a household is a very significant one. Very important. It's significant for the children, it's significant for the church, it's significant for the kingdom of God. He uses such a strong word there about the importance of keeping house. And Paul also puts this in the category of spiritual warfare. He wants to make sure that no occasion is given to the adversary, which very likely here, the adversary here may well be anyone who could slander The Christian, or slander the church because of what they see taking place. The word for give no occasion, the word for occasion there in verse 14, it speaks of a military base of operation from where an attack can be launched. So Paul has a deep concern for the honor of the church of the living God. Tragically, in verse 15, Paul says that some have already turned aside to follow Satan. They have abandoned their faith and followed an immoral lifestyle. Now, this, for one thing, confirms that Paul was addressing actual cases, actual people in the Ephesian church. And he says, this has already happened. I don't want it to happen again. We don't want it to happen again. That's why he's given such detailed instructions here. Now, to close out his instructions on the proper honoring of widows, we read this in verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So here we see a further biblical principle on the need to care for widows, and that's this. It's an honorable ministry when Christian women look to be a help to widows and others of need in the church. Paul is making it clear that it's it's not only the local church who should be assisting widows, but it's a God-honoring ministry that a Christian woman can take on herself. He may have in mind uh, single women who are heads of their own household. There was a couple that, 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 that you see in the book of Acts. One was Tabitha. Uh, one was Lydia, both who seemed to be Ladies who were on them, who were uh, who were by themselves, but actually had had a household as well, and you, you kind of assume, and you can see, especially from Tabitha's situation, that she was doing so much to care and help for people uh, herself. So that may be part of what he has in mind here. And there's all kinds of ways that this can happen. I think we just saw a, uh, and you got an answer on your bulletin about hope rising. And I know a number of of women especially have such a great ministry, you know, and within that ministry, I think that would fit in this category as well. So all in all, as we think about these verses, Paul has given us helpful situations for what it looks like for the church to function as the household of God. He's made that very specific, how we're to function as God's family. He's also given very specific instructions on how we should learn, how we should be able to apply biblical principles, because as a church, we're the pillar and support of truth. So we most certainly should do that. And he's also made it clear how vital it is that the church is set apart as an example to the world, because we are the church of a living God. We want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the practical aspects of your word. Um recognition of, of people in special situations and special needs. And we just thank you for that recognition that we see here. We thank you for the example of how to uh, apply biblical principles in our lives, to circumstances in our lives. And so we just thank you for that. And uh, we just thank you for all the people you've brought into our lives, uh, people who are, who are older, people who are younger, so many people that have been a help to each of us. We could all just make a long list of people who have been so influential in our lives. And so I want to thank you for them, those within our family and those within the church at large. Lord, help us to continue just to, just to grow and to, and to continue to function as a family. If you're one who's never put your faith in Christ, then you're not a part of that family. I mean, you're, you're welcome to, to worship, here, but you're not technically a part of the household of God or of a, a servant of the living God. So I would invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I pray like this will be a way to start. Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that I need Christ, and I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I commit myself to him as my Lord. I want to live a godly life that pleases you. If you want to talk in more detail about that commitment, you can make a note on your tear-off. For those who are watching online, can reach out to us at the website. It is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to use the hymnal, we're going to be singing from number 712. 712.